was a failed skydiver and a bear sometimes he runs Ben's always traveling, an occasional beach bum Phil talks a lot, Ben not at all It's PHP Town Hall Eye on off, he's a comic book fanatic Phil made pyro CMS, he's probably in a kayak Phil talks a lot, Ben not at all It's BHP Town Hall Random guests, alcohol BHP Town Hall So, hello everybody, uh, welcome to episode 24 of PHP Town Hall The date is currently, what is it, the 1st of May, so... Happy 1st of May 2014, everybody. It's um, uh, exactly April 30th for the rest of the world. <laughs> uh, England is ahead of the rest of the world. That's yes. how that works. Um, I, I, for the first time, am in England. So um, we are living in the future and America is living in the past. I'm sorry to tell you that. Um, I guess India is and China is ahead of the rest of the world. Um, but uh, we're not talking to anyone there. So, you know. Who's the most in the future? Australia? I think Japan. Japan is the most in the future. That explains their technology. I think that's how it works. I think if you give somebody an extra five hours, then they can introduce some amazing tech, like Nintendo's. Like 40 years before everyone else. I I don't think the time zone goes as far as 40 years, but they are are a little bit ahead of us. (laughs) All right, so we uh, have on the show today Steve Corona. Uh, he is a PHP developer, the author of Scaling PHP, and he's going to educate us today. How about you That's give right. a little intro for yourself, Steve? Yeah, uh, thank you. I definitely plan on doing some educating. Uh, so I'm Steve Corona, uh, like you said, author of the book Scaling PHP Applications. Uh, I wrote that book and uh, sort of started my whole PHP career, I guess, uh, as the CTO of TwitPic, so TwitPic, photo sharing for Twitter. Um, did that for quite a while, kind of figured out like what the fuck I was doing and uh, kind of learned all my scaling and PHP lessons doing that. And uh, right now I just moved to San Francisco and I'm at a company called Life360 uh, doing an API over here at Life360. But yeah, so that's, that's kind of my story. I have a lot of uh, background in scaling. It's kind of my passion you know i like to talk about scaling and that whole uh that whole realm of uh development so that's a little bit about me love the podcast i've caught a couple episodes so it's uh one of my favorite php podcasts and i'm not just saying that to blow smoke up my ass but or smoke up your ass but maybe i am a little bit well smoke up well and truly well and truly received and we thank you very much for it (laughs) you're quite welcome um, I also have caught your book, sir, and it is uh, it taught me a fair bit. Um, I spent the last two years working on some crazy high level shit. I feel like uh, I feel like your book was one of the uh, one of the helping points in uh, getting me from being just yet another PHP developer to being like, oh shit, now I'm the CTO of some crazy startup. The mm. need to make a whole bunch of stuff, and now I have to take my bullshit sysadmin skills to be like, oh, and now we have to handle a whole bunch of fucking followers and a whole bunch of people. Um, so it was interesting. I, I needed a few resources uh, to help me go from like, I installed lamp on my local computer once 
to like, oh, now we have this EC2 box that needs to have uh, Nginx and FPM and, and handle 10,000 users tomorrow. So, so you'd say you'd say the book made you a badass. I mean, that's really what you're driving at. Like you were not a badass until you read the book and then you read the book and you're just fucking awesome after that. What do you want me to say, Stephen? More people should buy your book immediately. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I do. I remember. I remember. Uh, you you sent me a tweet, uh, and I remember this so like vividly because it was so fucking hilarious. I got a tweet from you, and it was like, "Got blackout drunk last night, bought a book on scaling PHP. And it was pretty awesome, and I was, it was like the best testimonial I've ever seen in my life." And it was. Yeah, I, I remember I you so vividly just because of that. I think the testimonial you used on your website was, this is the best book on scaling PHP that I've ever bought that I don't remember buying. Yes, that's right. That's something like that. And uh, and when I woke up, I remember reading the whole situation, and it was wonderful. Um, I, I used the, <laughs> everything everything about like configuring Nginx. Nginx is so weird. Nginx and, and FPM are so weird that you can set it up, and you can test it with like five different users, and you're like, oh this works really well. And then you, you test it with like a hundred users and it works fairly well. And then you test it with a thousand users and the whole thing is fucked. And that's just, <laughs> and that's these magical little parameters. Like you, all these parameters that you've never heard of, like, Oh, my max buffer size was 25% larger than it should have been. Like the whole thing just falls over. So unless you tweak these random little things, it's broken. And, um, and unless somebody has been through that whole war zone, like you probably were with, with TwickPick, no one knows that. So you, people, people are just launching shit left, right, and center. And until they know what, what magical FBM settings to configure, they have no idea what they're doing. And this is, you know, that's why that sort of book is, is very powerful and very useful for people that, that don't know what they're up to. Yeah, no, I haven't read your book because I'm an asshole, I guess. Wow, what uh, a dick. What a dick. No. Kick him off. How do you kick someone from this, from this video You can't chat? kick me um, off my <laughs> podcast. That doesn't uh, Ben, I can definitely – I have the power, this magical button. Um, <laughs> well, we, we, all, we can all tell that Ben is an evil person because he is currently wearing the classical evil person. Um, uh, Stephen, uh, I guess you've got a bit of stubble going on there, but we we are we are currently luckily Shailen uh, hasn't joined us. I am currently using Shailen's microphone, um, and uh, we were going to be the League of Substandard Beards, uh, <laughs> which is which is not the same group as the League of Extraordinary Packages because the League of Extraordinary Packages makes some extraordinary packages. The League of Substandard Beards have shit like this on their face, and no one's <laughs> impressed by any of this. Um, the whole approach is that until me, uh, me, Ben, and Shailen ship Beatnode.com, none of us are shaving. I think that's how it works, right, Ben? Yeah, I'm going to start grooming my nose hair pretty soon. It's going to be wicked. <laughs> oh, no one likes the nose hair. I used to work with a guy that actually like combed it in with his mustache. It was pretty sweet. No, no, you did. Oh, that's terrible. He oh. did. Oh. I was about to say only in Portland, and then I remember that my apartment's in Williamsburg, and I can't say <laughs> shit all. I've seen some terrible things. Although the same thing happens in Turkey. I was in Turkey last week. Yeah. yeah. Now this guy was uh, this guy was like an old school Russian kind of guy. It wasn't okay. in Portland, but he was like 
he was as Russian as you can get if you just accept every stereotype. And that was part of it was the, the mustache beard combo. <laughs> like I said, dude, same thing in Turkey. Um, having conversations with a few people, the second somebody gets a camera out or this like, oh, this is really funny. We should record this. Uh, the number of people that just fucking just just put a fucking comb out of nowhere and just start like combing them. <laughs> it's just like a bunch of old 60 year old men sitting around in some sort of tea cafe and then as soon as someone gets a camera out, they're just, ah, I must, I must, I must brush my mustache immediately. Um, <laughs> I've never combed my mustache, so <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. Clearly, clearly neither have I. That's, that's not something you ever need to be concerned about. <laughs> All right, but, so why are we here? I forgot. We're mustaches. here to talk about mustaches. Stephen, tell us. Mustaches. Your I just, I don't have one. I don't have a mustache yet. I did work on one for uh, No Shave November, but man, I'm terrible at growing facial hair. Only because it just itches so damn bad. I can't I just can't get around maybe, to the... Maybe when you grow up, Steve. Maybe a couple more years. Cross I feel like years. that might be why you're still developing PHP. Ooh, that's a, that's a really sore spot. I, what, so I... Fuck you, first of all. <laughs> Second of all, I hate PHP, but I love PHP, but I hate PHP. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I feel like you hit a controversial spot there as far as like... Um, I feel like that's an interesting spot and I feel like you should go for it. We've all, we've all been through that. Like loads of, loads of prominent, prominent members in the community have been through that. And it's one of those things that everyone goes through every other week. It's like... Every other week, there's some asshole writing a blog post like PHP sucks, and 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 every every other day you go, oh wait, but I've I still keep making money by writing it, so who cares if it's as fancy and newfangled as this other thing? Why? What is what is your reason for continuing to use PHP? Uh, uh, did Twitpic use PHP? Why did they use it, and why do you still use it? Uh, yeah, so. Uh... Twitpic, yeah. When uh when we started Twitpic, it was in PHP. I was that's all I knew, right? I was a PHP developer since I was fourteen or something like that. I'm twenty twenty seven now, so it's quite a bit of experience. And um, Twitpic was around the time when I was like twenty one, twenty two. So all I really knew, I thought it was awesome. Like hell yeah, you could build shit really fast, and and it works, it magically works, and you don't really need to worry about all that shit like testing and and all, all this like enterprise ideas, like you don't need to know about that. You don't need to worry about it. And so uh, that's what we used. Um, but then, you know, as I kind of grew up as a developer, I got more experience under my belt. Um, I, you know, I, I had a, I grew to have a love hate relationship where um, I like PHP because it's, it's interesting. There's like a lot of interesting things to talk about PHP. There's uh, some, you know, a lot of re- relevant development that's happening. It's like sort of uh, a lot of interesting things are happening, especially composer and that sort of thing. But now, like, as I have more experience, I want to use other, other languages. I want to use the more, more Ruby and more Golang, but something about PHP just keeps drawing me back simply because uh, a, you know, everyone that wants to pay me money wants me to work on their PHP app, uh, which is a awesome but not awesome right you want to i want to work on other things but also like um a lot of interesting apps are still written in php a lot a lot of for the same reasons right startups start a lot of times with people that don't know what the fuck they're doing 
uh, they build something ends up being successful. And now you have a massive code base that's in PHP. And although like the hacker news types want to tell you, you can write it in Haskell or Clojure in a weekend, you can't. And it's, you're stuck with this huge PHP code base and you have to make the best of it. And it's like a reality that we live with. And maybe it's not the most awesome language, but uh, it still gets shit done. And it's, it's not trivial to, to switch to another language. And it's good enough. Let's let's be honest. It's good enough. It's that has, should be PHP's new motto. It's good <laughs> it, it's good enough. PHP. <laughs> I guess it works. <laughs> no, I mean that's that's completely the case. Um, I mean it's the most annoying conversation I have with so many people over and over again. Like the number of times I've been, I've been talking to other developers. I rock up at some Ryak conference and, and uh, no one knows anything about PHP or V Phil Sturgeon, whatever. And um, I'm just chatting to people and they're like, Oh, you use PHP. Okay, cool. Cool for you. And they just, they just treat you like you're a fucking idiot. And it is the number of times I've been cool surprised by that. But I'm, <laughs> yeah, cool story, bro. Um, and, and then more recently, I've given less fucks. Like the second you mention that you develop PHP, everyone just discounts you. But they, they ignore the fact that uh, I can, I regularly, every single day, I develop PHP, Python, and Ruby. Um, and it's got to the point where it's basically 33% each way. Um, so I've, I've, no, I've basically stopped calling myself a PHP developer and I'm just going with software engineer because the amount of, the amount of like, uh, like crazy back end programming I do and, and like, all these different languages means that I've kind of given up calling myself a PHP programmer and I've given up calling myself a web developer because neither of those things are accurate or true about what I actually do during the day. Um, so yeah, using PHP is kind of one of those things where it's easy to do. Anyone can pick it up. It's all good. Um, I'm happy to build a lot of code in PHP. Um, and then whenever you need to use something else, you should definitely use something else. And the most annoying thing for me is that people in the PHP community very regularly seem to think it has to be all or nothing. You have mm -hmm. to either use PHP all the time for everything. You have to pick your favorite framework. Obviously, you have to pick Laravel because it's the coolest thing. You have to use Laravel for fucking everything. And then you have to you have to keep on using that one framework for everything. If you want to learn if you want to learn how to deploy your code, you have to Google search Laravel deployments. If you want to if you want to work out how workers work with Laravel, you have to Google search Laravel workers. And you have to every single part of the whole situation has to work with your one framework, with your one language. And if you try doing anything else, then you're wrong and you're doing it wrong, and that's silly. Whereas in reality, the whole 12-factor uh, 12 approach is much more useful, um, where you have, this is my PHP app, and this is how this PHP app works. Um, I have a little bit of code over here that, that handles uh, this written in Python, and, and this is a little bit of Python code. And then I have this other job, and I was going to write it in Python, or I was going to write it in PHP, but then I realized it required a package that only really worked in in Ruby. The only the only person that wrote this package uh, to be to work very well was in Ruby because the Python equivalent was shit. So I've decided to write this little aspect of the application using Ruby, and that's what that uses. And and that is I, I feel like how most large scale applications end up working beyond the prototype phase. Um, but unfortunately, in the PHP community, we're still stuck in a scenario where everything will always be PHP and fuck you for trying anything else. <laughs> I've actually seen kind of a, a good trend lately, and I don't know if it's just my little corner of the world, but in uh, freelance projects and at my day job, there's been a, a little more openness to integrating other solutions. And it seems like just in the past 
year or two, really. Because, you know, four years ago, if you even mentioned using Ruby for a background job or whatever, you know, these places would just freak out because it's not in their their stack, you know. But um, I don't know. I'm, I'm seeing a big openness towards let's just use the best tool for the job. And there's still a ton of people that don't, like you're saying, Phil. But I've actually seen kind of the trend towards let's just use weather's best. And I'm all for it. It's been awesome. Um, what about you guys? Are you guys still seeing kind of the old school, we only use the one tool for everything? Or are you guys seeing people being open to other tools? Yeah, I think that you kind of uh, you kind of nailed it within the past couple of years. A lot of like the, the talk around service-oriented architecture and, and sort of more defined and open API standards and, and sort of the move towards like, hey, everything's going to be a, a JSON API or whatever. I, I think that has sort of given a, a leverage towards the movement of more of, uh, more different la- different languages that are the right fit for the right job. Um, just because there, there's maybe a better culture around like defined standards. Like this is how, if we know that everything communicates over a JSON REST API, now it's really easy for us to talk about how like we can split two code bases up where before it was like, if you're an inexperienced developer is very ambiguous. Like how do we, how do we take this big blob of, you know, a monolithic PHP app and, and split that into something else? And it was unthinkable, but now like, it's just so well defined to use JSON and, and REST or whatever for, for everything that it's easier to conceptualize and there's just a lot more uh, a lot more out there on the service based architecture that that sort of you know drives multiple language uh, development. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Um, I guess if I thought about it, the places that are more open to it are the places that are now open to APIs and SOA. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Good. So I think we've agreed that everyone that doesn't use 12 different languages in their code base is doing it wrong and they should start uh, reprogramming in Scala. No. Um, <laughs> go. No, go links the new shit. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I genuinely feel like if, if you ever think that programming an entire application using entirely the same language is right, then you're probably wrong. Like, a very simple level. Um, it's very common for people these days to build an entire PHP uh, application, PHP API, PHP admin backend, um, and then want to use a uh, Angular JS or Ember JS as a front end, and that works out very well. Um, there's a lot of other people that will build, you know, all of these PHP applications, um, and then they will start to to work off these these background workers. And they'll do those using the same framework that they built their front-end website in. And the weird point there is that you've got your front-end website handling your job queue system. That sounds bizarre. So, so normally at some point, people start to split things off. And you've got your, your, your front-end website with probably PHP or maybe a combination of PHP and JavaScript. And then you have these background workers. And then you're still writing them in PHP just because you're, I guess you're used to it and you might as well. Um, but then you start to look into the fact that actually, you know, Ruby and Python might be better or Go might be fun because woo. Um, and as soon as you start to implement other languages into your stack that actually could do a job better, because to be honest, PHP isn't always the right language, neither is any other language, and you, you generally improve your stack drastically. Even if you only learn one other language, 
you have the choice of two languages for any specific job. So if you ever think that one language is right for everything, then you're definitely wrong. I mean, if you have two languages available, then you have two different tools that you can use. If you have three languages, great. Keep on trucking. I mean, in a perfect world, everyone would know everything and everyone would be available to everyone all the time. But that's not fair or, or, or possible. So the more languages that you can learn, the better you can do with the skills you have available. But I, I guess what I'm saying is go learn Python, motherfuckers. I mean, I don't know what else to say. Yeah, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make a quick assertion and just say that if you don't love Golang, like you should go fuck yourself because it's just such an amazing language that there's really there's, there's really no reason not to use it. But the point I was going to say to what you said is that you see the same thing a lot in the like the Ruby and Rails community. Like they have the same problem, even though like, you know, if you look at it from the outside, it looks like everything is perfect in butterflies and unicorns. And I love Rails, but they have the same thing where people that write in Rails want to use rails for everything and they want their background workers to to invoke the rails framework and they want everything to be like within the same git repository even and, it, and it's, so it's the same idea that P, people that want to do everything in php and like have this religious love for it the same idea I and mean, it's not just php it's it's everything else too um, i've started to notice that recently within the laravel community and it scares the shit out of me um, I've been a big pro proponent for the Laravel community since I've been, I've used this phrase before and once or twice it annoyed some people. And I don't mean to be a braggy ass when I say it, but I was the first person to ever make a Laravel for application. Uh, I mean, um, uh, Taylor gave me a shout on Skype and, and while he was still playing around with it when it was only in, you know, unit test phase or whatever, I was building an internal application for a startup that I started working in. I, I've been using Laravel 4 since August 2012, I think, um, which was like pre, 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 pre alpha. A big, big, big proponent of Laravel. Massive proponent. Giving talks about it, about how amazing it is. I've, I've submitted code, uh, pull requests, all sorts of things. I think I'm, I might be the fourth largest contributor, or at least in the top 10 somewhere. So when I say anything negative against Laravel at all, or even slightly critical, every single time people start going, fuck you, how dare you say, ah, and they just freak out and start throwing things around. I feel like I should be able to say a few things without getting screamed at. One of the things that really frustrates me about the Laravel community is that it, it's, it's turning into the Rails community, which is a pro and a con in, in various different ways, but... The problem with the Rails community is is that everything, like you said, has to be part of the Rails app. It has to be one Git repository, all of their deployments, all of their workers, all of their background jobs. Everything has to be within the same Git repository. You Git push your Rails app, and then the whole universe just somehow falls into place around the code that you munge together through Rails. Um, and that's not realistic. That's not cool um heroku has allowed that bizarre way of things to continue um but it's a really weird way of doing things and i and i feel like laravel is not through any fault of the creators not through any fault of, of taylor not through any fault necessarily of the community but through a weird combination of circumstance and expectation and other words that i can't think of it's just ending up that way. And it's kind of scary. 
I don't know. I think a lot of that has to do with the the user base. So a lot. Not saying Marvel is not good for a seasoned user or programmer, whatever you want to call them. But there are a lot of newbies using it. It it inherited a lot of the coding matter user base. So I mean, we saw the same thing with coding matter. You couldn't. Well, part of it was because coding matter was a piece of shit, and you couldn't actually do it hardly. But agreed. Everything in coding matter was a. Uh, a library, like everything you could possibly ever want to do. And everybody took an existing class and converted it to a library. I did the same thing. I have like 40 libraries that are on my GitHub, you know. But, uh, so I think they just kind of took that same attitude. Like you didn't have the option really in coding matter unless you did some tricks. And so now in Laravel, they're just kind of doing the same thing where, you know, hey, I use Laravel, so why the fuck would I care if it works anywhere else, you know? Hmm. Anyway, before I get started on, a, on another um, framework agnostic code is good argument and uh, I get Taylor and Ian shouting at me on my Twitter feed, um, I feel like we should take advantage of our, of our wonderful expert guest a little bit more. Um, Stephen, uh, can, you, can you talk a little bit about some of the crazy unexpected things that happened to you on your way to scaling TwitPick from the prototype that I assume it once was to having a shitload of users. Can you think of any crazy, awkward horror stories um, that you that cover kind of scaling tips that you had to learn on the spot? Sure, yeah. I can share uh, a couple of different interesting stories that I have, different war stories. Uh, sort of the background of it, like I think I mentioned earlier, when we started TwitPick, I had no idea what the fuck I was doing, right? I dropped out of college. I worked at a, you know, a shitty job for a while, like, Barely, like, uh, I slept on the floor uh, of my apartment, actually, for quite a while, just because I couldn't afford a bed, and I had an air mattress, and it popped, and then I was like, well, guess I'm just sleeping on the floor now. Startup uh, life. Startup life, right? So it was like, I, I really, um, I, I didn't, I don't have a traditional education or background, so it could possibly be that, like, a lot of the things I learned, you would have learned if you had a traditional education or background, if you didn't flunk out of college in your first year and get kicked out. Uh, so a, a lot of it, like the whole time it was a roller coaster. Um, for the first year, year and a half, I slept with my laptop in my bed because uh, I had to restart Apache like every single night. I had like the most basic pingdom alerts set you up and they start Apache. <laughs> yeah, uh, oh, the, I have. I had to sleep with uh, my laptop in my bed for about two months because I was living in a hostel in London, not too far from here for a while. <laughs> and uh, the first night I slept in that room with 15 other people in that room, um, somebody walked up to the bag next to mine and decided to steal a MacBook Pro out of that bag. Now, it was a 50-50 chance whether they stole it out of my bag or out of that guy's bag. And luckily, fuck that guy. My, back, my, my MacBook Pro was safe, but for the next month or two, I genuinely don't know how long I was there, um, I had to sleep with my MacBook Pro under my pillow, which in a hostel environment doesn't make the, the, the bed any more comfortable whatsoever. So, uh, yeah, that was interesting. But, you uh, slept with do. it for different reasons. Yeah, yeah. Slightly different I almost reasons, like those reasons better. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so I, I wasn't worried about getting my laptop stolen, but... I was worried about the site just constantly crashing and really having no idea why, like it was crashing, but who the fuck knows why, like it is. And if I run service Apache restart, it fixes it. So that's, you know, that's, that's how we fixed it for a while. 
Um, and eventually, you know, I started learning more and more things like, you know, why maybe Apache isn't the best choice and why the servers would run out of memory and like things like that. Um, and so just we scaled up and, uh, and at our peak, we had something like 50 million users, uh, which was quite a bit. And eventually, you know, it became like uh, I became good at it. So like I was able the the kind of uh, the kind of story I tell is that I was able to go from that to like going into campfire, like the chat room and typing like new app server and a campfire bot would start up a new server and like having this whole drastic different experience. But one of my favorite stories is this one. And it's kind of a, maybe not directly related to scaling, but um, so we used to run free BSD on our servers. And, um, you know, there, at the time it was like PHP 5.2 or 5.3 or something. And everyone used APC at the time, right? You'd use like the APC app cache. Everyone knows that. And um, so we had this weird bug and it, it ended up being a bug in APC. But what would happen is two people would upload two different images at like almost the exact same time. And somehow, some way there would be a race condition and the images would basically swap between user X and user Y. So if you were uploading maybe a nice picture of, uh, of you know, your lunch and I was uploading like I was sexting my friend and we just happened to like hit the bug at the right time, <laughs> you would get my picture and I would get yours. And it was like uh, just a bug in APC. It was a, it was a race hey, condition. check out what I was eating for lunch. Oh, it's a penis. <laughs> exactly. And so, but what happened was um, there was a weatherman. This, this is a true story. There was a weatherman that submitted a, a support ticket. And he's like, hey, I was uploading my forecast and like this picture of like, this girl in a bikini, like really like, you know, in a sexual pose came up on my tweet pic. I don't really, I don't know what's going on. I'm so confused and embarrassed. And I had a, I went and deleted the tweet, but it's still there. And I just, I'm not really sure why this happened. I didn't do that. <laughs> and, and so that was the worst scenario, but it happened. Is quite that frequently. what happened to Anthony Weiner? Cause he maintains <laughs> that that wasn't him. Yeah. He wishes that bug happened to him. But uh, yeah, Steve's fault. We know now. <laughs> I know about Anthony Weiner because whilst being an Englishman, um, I spent an entire day stuck in America. Whilst I was backpacking around America in 2000 and what 10, 11, um, I was I was taking the Greyhound everywhere I went, and uh, I was unfortunate enough. Uh, the Greyhound system in in America, uh, shitty coach service for anyone that doesn't know, um, much like the Megabus for English people. If you is first come first serve. So if you get there and the coach is full, then you have to wait for the next one. And uh, on the day that the Anthony Weiner scandal came out, um, I I was uh, the 111th person to try and get on the 110-seater bus. And I had to wait for 13 hours for the next bus, Ooh. which was fun. Um, and the only place they had uh, power was directly underneath the live CNN feed, the 24-hour CNN feed talking about Anthony Weiner's penis for the entire day. Um, and I had to try and get a social network uh, finished. So I spent the entire day programming on a nine-inch netbook uh, using uh, my local uh, local resources with Mongo installed to try and uh, get a website finished. And all I could hear about all bloody day was Anthony fucking Weiner. <laughs> that was a terrible, terrible day for everyone, especially Anthony Weiner. But it would have been wonderful if, if his excuse was, oh, but I, uh, I used TwitPick and they had some sort of race condition with APC. And to be genuinely honest, it actually wasn't my fault. 
<laughs> it wasn't even my penis. It was just some other guy that was uploading at the same time. I mean, I have similar looking boxer shorts, but that was not my penis. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, unfortunately for Anthony Weiner, uh, it, it was not because of the bug that his Weiner was on display. Um, but it did cause a lot of other people some grief. And, you know, we ended up fixing it, but that was, that was one of my favorite stories. Um, another story that's not really related to scaling at all, but I think this is also hilarious. Um, there is, I forget the celebrity, but basically there is a celebrity, a female celebrity. She posted a picture of a purse. She bought a new purse and posted it on Twitter. It was like, oh, hey, check out my new purse, uh, la, la, la. Um, and then like a month or two later, she gets, uh, she gets pulled over on the highways, I think Arizona or California. And, um, the, the cop is like, you know, going, looks through her stuff for whatever reason he had cause to look through her stuff and finds cocaine in this purse. And she's like, officer, that absolutely, that is not my purse. That's my friend's purse left in the car, went to some kind of, you know, trial or judge or something. Uh, but part of the defense for it was that they said, Hey, was, you said that's not your purse, but there's this picture you uploaded to TwitPic a, a month ago that where he's like, Hey, check out my new purse. And that's the same. It's a picture of the same purse. What's going on? <laughs> nice. So that not directly related to scaling, but, but I do like that story as well. There's, there's a lot of weird stories, scaling and non-scaling related. Cool. Yeah. It so, was, it was a whirlwind. Yeah. Main question I have for you is, uh, not question, I guess, but topic I would like you to cover. So a big part of the scaling PHP isn't necessarily just with PHP. So you already mentioned Apache, Nginx. Um, I would imagine, do you guys use SQL there? Did you use like a NoSQL or what did you choose for that front? Yeah, so uh, I really like that question because I would make the argument that scaling has nothing, fucking nothing to do with your code. You could have the worst code ever and it could scale amazingly or it could scale awfully, but it really has almost nothing to do with your code. Like, Hang on, I, I thought I thought if you switched all of your double quotes to single quotes, <laughs> then your application would run faster. Is that not that's it? Works? Well, that's yeah. I basically wrote two hundred pages on the the quote, like what quote and how to do it most efficiently. Like which then, one to and use? Then you put the you put the plus plus before the variable instead of yes. Answer, and then yeah, that is that's it. a that's actually like in the master book. Like I don't know how you unlock that chapter, but you have to pay extra to get that that advice. <laughs> Now, chapter four was on the triple equals, though, right? <laughs> yeah, so my my argument or my, my sort of uh, assertion, you know, there's obviously places where you could find that. It's like what I'm saying right now is is very wrong. Like, But most of the time, your code isn't the reason why your site is slow or sucks or whatever. Like as long as you follow... A, the most minimum of best practices for coding, like you probably had good enough code. The entire book, probably uh, there's 218 pages um, and probably 214 of those pages are not about code. They're about all of the other pieces of your stack that really impact scaling. And there's everything from the most dumb, the most dumb pieces that you never think of, like DNS, like how does DNS impact how your app scales? And it actually impacts how your app scales quite a bit. Like one, one scenario um, that happened to us, right. Was uh, we, we make a lot, we made a lot of API calls to Twitter and such. Like you'd post something for the Twitter API. Uh, so you look up api.twitter.com and your app does that automatically. PHP, you know, you'd say like, Hey, I want to 
I want to write, uh, send some data to Twitter. PHP uses like all the, the Linux uh, libraries and makes a syscall and ends up doing a lookup for api.twitter.com, right? So that's part of your app. And you don't really think about it, but like if your DNS resolver goes down or doesn't work right, now your app all of a sudden is going to crash because it's like you're, you have like this whole domino effect of all your PHP processes waiting for DNS to happen and it doesn't happen and your app now breaks. Uh, a good example also is like um, sort of along the same lines, right, with DNS is I, I pushed a bug once, right? I sometimes write buggy code. I pushed this bug where like, I put a new line in like some memcache uh, host name or whatever, like no big deal. You put a new, you accidentally put a new line. Memcache doesn't work. You can't look up the IP correctly. The problem was like, there's this all this weird shit that happens at scale. Like when memcache library sees an IP that it doesn't realize is an IP, it tries to make a DNS request. And so you have like, every time you use memcache, when I push this bad code, every time we'd use memcache, uh, we'd, make this invalid look DNS lookup request. Uh, our DNS resolver, which is our host soft layer, right? They're like, oh shit, TwitPick is like sending us all this invalid, all these invalid DNS requests. Fuck them, we're gonna block them. Like we can't deal with all this traffic. Now like your DNS gets blocked and all this weird shit breaks that you would never expect, but it would only happen at scale. You can't post to Twitter, everything breaks and you don't think about it. So like, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that every layer of the stack is really what you need to scale. It's, it's your DNS, it's your uh, Nginx, it's PHP, uh, as far as like using PHP FPM, it's your PHP opcache, it's your database. And we ran like a very, um, a very normal stack. It wasn't that crazy. It was different than like LAMP proper, but it was still, you know, we used MySQL, we scaled MySQL. We didn't, we never really got into the whole NoSQL uh, business, which is, you know, vastly fascinating to me, but, uh, is not, you know, we just, we scaled everything from a proper basic LAMP app to something different, but that still really resembled LAMP. So MySQL, just like everyone else. All right, now on that front actually got me thinking. One of the biggest problems I usually have is how do I figure out where the fuck the problem was when it's the thousandth user that triggers it? Mm. Uh, that's pretty hard to duplicate. So what kind of tools did you use for debugging and troubleshooting? Urelic.com is a reasonable, cheap solution to debugging <laughs> your applications on a live scenario. No, we can't mention New Relic because they didn't respond to us about sponsorship. No, so. I'm just practicing. So if we show that we can advertise their shit <laughs> in the middle, like in a natural environment, maybe they'll give us some <laughs> fucking cash. I mean, I just, you know, I don't want to have to buy a microphone like this. I mean, look at how expensive this looks. I don't have to buy one of those out my own fucking money. I'm just glad that I'm <laughs> hanging out with a DJ for this week. <laughs> uh, yeah, New Relic, by the way, awesome, but uh, New Relic is expensive. I can't ever use it in like a big at scale environment because it costs as much as your like fucking Amazon instances to use. Yeah, if, you, if you have one server, it's okay. If you have like, if you do any of the whole like 12 factor situation and you have like five servers, then fuck you and everything you believed in. You have to pay like, it's like a hundred and something dollars per server. And if you have like a cash server, a worker server, a fucking web, you know, web server, an API server, a backend server, then you're paying like a grand just for a bug catch system, which is a yeah. little bit unfair. Yeah. But it is an awesome tool. Uh, anyways, to answer so, the so question, please give us money. So please, yeah, give them money. They, you have a lot of it apparently if you charge a grand for five servers. So 
plenty to throw around. To answer the question, like what tools, uh, I really like, and this is a tool that doesn't get a lot of credit and maybe even the, a lot of the PHP community doesn't even know about, it, even though it's such a basic tool, but um, uh, well, S-Trace. S-Trace is like my favorite tool for debugging PHP, like live PHP shit when you're like, oh fuck, I got an alert from PagerDuty or Copper Egg or Pingdom or whatever the whatever you use. You get an alert and you're like, wow, everything's down and my life is fucked right now. And you go log in and you, it's just not working, not loading, you have no idea um, what's happening. S-Trace, you S-Trace a PHP process. It very obviously tells you like what it's waiting on. Like, is it waiting for memcache? Is it waiting for MySQL? Is it waiting for an API call to happen? Usually if your site's down or if you have problems at scale, it's not because like your code suddenly broke. It's because something that your code depends on has broken. And S-Trace is the perfect tool for, for figuring that out. Not to mention, it comes with every Linux in distribution that you can install. Anything you install that you can run PHP on already has S-Trace. You just learn how to use it. It's like S-Trace-P, whatever, whatever the process ID is, and you're debugging like immediately. It's, it's awesome for, for PHP debugging. Uh, sorry about that. I was busy trying to write down notes so that we can maintain the semblance of being a professional podcast. Yes, oh, I do like, so I like that semblance. So Relic can give us cash in the future, um, which actually brings me to a wonderful point of uh, we currently have PHP Town Hall T-shirts on our website. Ben, <laughs> are these linked on the website or are they just smashed out on Teespring or some other third party website, which I can't remember the domain for? Ben has gone to the bathroom. So, <laughs> Stephen, uh, how do you feel about uh, any of the recent conversations? I mean, this isn't this isn't a question that's being asked because you're on the show. It's a question that's being asked because um, I I guess I just need to get some shit off my chest. But uh, yes, the, hit whole, me. the whole TDD apocalypse. Have you been watching the DHH round? Oh, of course, about, of course. About like oh. Now, it's really, I, I really can work out how to introduce the question, what the question is, how to talk about this whole subject, because it's very difficult for me. With the original DHH article and keynote, there were a series of things that he said, which I agreed with. Um, and there were a series of things that he said, which I thought were rather dumb. So my major problem is that people are looking at this conversation and people are trying to fit their opinion into a tweet. And um, they're all trying to say, well, I think TDD is great. I think TDD is terrible. Well, fuck you, sir. And fuck your dog as well. Like I, people are trying to fit their entire opinion about should you test? Should you not test? At what point should you test? When is testing good? When is test? They're trying to fit that entire fucking situation into a tweet. And and if you ever try and fit a complicated opinion like this into a tweet, then you are definitely 100% of the time wrong. I guess I'm going to basically ask you a question by giving you a 10-minute rant. So if we can just go. <laughs> My feeling is that TDD is wonderful at times, depending on the type of project whether it's an application or a component, whether you are working for an in-house company or for a startup that's trying to smash out a prototype, um, 
And in any of those different different environments, like you have to look at the money and the budget and the time and everything else. But as soon as you suggest, oh, we're working for a company that currently doesn't have time to work on tests, then people say, oh, but tests save you so much time in the long run. And you say, yeah, sure, that's cool. But we're not particularly worried about the long run because me and Ben right now are working for you know, one of our clients is the same person. He's sat next door because he can't be asked to come onto the podcast. And if we don't get features written today, then there isn't a tomorrow. We have to get these features done by a certain deadline or we don't care if it works next week. This prototype has to fucking launch like in two days. Um, and we don't, sure. yeah, we don't even know, it perfectly. We don't know what it might look like next week. That's the, you know, we right. can build the prototype and they demo it and it doesn't do the right shit. So then we rewrite half of it. So, Actually, writing tests in that constraint would be a waste of time. And yeah, so and it's, it's one of those situations where spike and stabilize makes drastically more sense than anything else. Um, and 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 my main issue with people whenever they talk about testing, I feel like there are two extremes. There are the people that say, um, "We currently work for a large company that has been unit testing everything for the last year." And because we've been unit testing everything for the last year, we have 100% coverage. We feel like we have covered most bugs, and we we completely stop regression from ever happening. And if regression does pop its, uh, its ugly head, we fix it immediately. Unit tests are great. Unit test everything all the time, every fucking day. And there are the other people at the other end of the situation that are like, okay, this client has asked me to build a fucking 100-pound website or a 1,000-pound website. And they've asked, they've said, okay, we need a blog, we need a page manager, we need um, a hotel booking system. Can you do that? I mean, piracymess.com, grab yourself a booking module. But regardless, <laughs> <laughs> got to do it. But there are people that have these really low-budget websites that are just saying, can you, can you bash out a simple website for us, and that's all we fucking need? And you say, yeah, sure, but the, the amount of time you've quoted and the amount of money you've offered does not necessarily cover the amount of time it will actually take to develop that and make sure it's properly tested. And they're like, ah, don't worry, we'll test it. And they're like, okay, but I really want to fucking unit test this because I can't promise that it will work tomorrow and the day after. And they're like, ah, don't worry about it. We'll let you know if it breaks, right? So there are people that don't test shit because they literally can't. And there are people that work for these large companies that test everything all the time. They have loads of developers that test everything all the time. And there are these people that are just sat in the middle, like me and you and Ben and, and the normal fucking people that are just trying to get stuff done, that aren't listening to these these ivory tower, wonderful, perfect world situation speakers giving their bullshit talks about things that don't relate to real people. And, 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 and people like DHH are just running around saying, oh, but I don't test anything because I really love writing complicated code that, that puts everything in the model and we don't fucking mock anything. <laughs> And this is just the shit that we, you know, we like writing shitty code that's untestable. And then we hate tests because it's hard to test our shitty code. And, and <laughs> do you see that the kind of the level of complication that's involved in the current, even, even having a discussion about when you should or should not test is mm. so completely broken because everyone trying to talk about it is coming at different angles and they're fucking smashing people in the face with their personal situation. Like their one specific angle and how they code is the only way in which anyone codes. I mean, does that fuck you off 
or do you have like do, do you see the, the the differences or or how do you feel about testing based around my last 12 minutes of conversation <laughs> yeah no i i certainly agree with your rant i think that uh testing is one of those things right it's kind of like abstinence where everyone preaches it but most people don't follow it most people i know don't fucking test as much as they they want to tell people that they test right they they if you ask them and say what do you think about testing they're like yeah fuck yeah i love tdd i do it all the time it's my favorite thing to do but really they don't they say that they do because like in their imagination as far as like it's like that golden code base that you build where everything's going to be perfect this time and i'm going to I'm going to rewrite it and I'm going to use best practices and the code is always going to be pretty and there's going to be no spaghetti and I'm going to use TDD and there's going to be a unit test for every scenario. It falls into that. And I think that, you know, I'll I'll be honest, a lot of startups I've worked on don't have tests or they have the most minimal tests where it's like very black box at the API level, like, hey, let's test and make sure the API calls all respond with 200s and they look okay and the, the data that they return looks okay. And in a startup world, it's hard to test everything. And I think TDD is that, it's like the most extreme of the magical ponies. I think most people that talk about TDD actually don't do TDD 100% of the time. It's great, T, you know, TDD in, um, in testing, like as a test first, and not maybe not like a full t- TDD development, but like really heavily test first works really well when you start talking about like uh, SOA, like service architecture service, like tiny services with limited uh, problem domains that are small, only have a couple of, uh, of, of API calls they serve. Like it's really great for those code bases. But I think that when you start looking at it, when you have a, like most people, if you're a realist and you have a massive application, you have this big monolithic PHP app or Rails app, it's almost impossible to TDD something like that. It's almost impossible to have really good test coverage, even if you don't do TDD. So I, I think that we have to get real. We have to get realistic about tests. We have to like kind of understand that, hey, everything can't be tested and we wish that it could. Uh, to your guys' point, like some, if you're in a startup, you don't know if there's going to be tomorrow. You need to ship ASAP and worry about the tests later. And it's a, it's a thing that you can get to when you get bigger, like a, a three-person startup that's just getting an MVP doesn't need tests when you're that small. You just, you don't need them. You're trying to prove something. And if it doesn't work, you're going to throw this fucking code away anyways. So why, why, why burden yourself with that at, at that level? At, there's a lot of cases for testing, but there's a lot of cases for not testing too. Yeah. and this yeah, is- I'm a pretty big um, component of unit testing components so libraries classes things you're going to use in multiple places but i'm not a big component at all proponent of a uh, like controller testing mm. or you know things like that unit testing for that i think that's what integration tests are for so in that way i think what dhh was saying is is true for a lot of people but with him being in charge of charge with rails i think it's you know kind of the bad president to set because something like rails i think should be unit tested heavily now whether that's tdd or not that doesn't really i really don't give a fuck how you write the test as long as it has the test because that came first or last or you know two months later as long as they're there you know sure yeah i mean again even with that like i had a bit of a conversation with him today and he actually replied so i'm famous and uh he he replied basically saying mocking's fucking useless or so he, he made some comment about how mocking was useless 
Um, and, and I replied saying something on the lines of, can you be more clear about whether you mean with your application or with your component? Because if you're talking about a component, then obviously your component needs some mocking. Like with your application, um, yeah, I'll get back to that. I'll get back to the application approach in a second. But I said to him, um, if you are building a Twitter gem and your Twitter gem needs to talk to Twitter, I I have to assume that you're going to mock that. And he was like, of course. I was like, aha, then we've covered that mocking isn't useless, that mocking is useful for mocking things. Um, but step one, my problem with, 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 the T, uh, with the DHH approach of talking about testing, problem one, um, obviously unit testing is very important for the Rails framework itself. Building applications with Rails, you may not need to unit test those applications themselves but unit testing Rails itself is obviously very fucking important. Um, Taylor Rockwell responded to DHH's conversation about, you know, whether DHH personally liked TDD or not by saying Laravel is incredibly well unit tested. And I was like, cool. Don't think we were really talking about that. I think we were really talking about whether applications built with the framework should be unit tested. The framework itself should definitely be unit tested. If it's not unit tested, then fuck that whole framework. That really has to be unit tested. Building a framework. Frameworks have to be unit tested. We have to know that that shit actually works. Otherwise, we're just relying on some guy saying it probably works. And that was exactly what happened with Rick Ellis saying, I'm pretty sure Coding Nighter works, but I'm going to go and become a black belt in Mai Tai in Hawaii and fuck you guys that actually use it. So... We've been there. We're not going to go back again. That was terrible. The next part is that the next part is that applications don't always have to be unit tested, and, and DHH is absolutely right about that. And Ben has said the same thing: that applications you should try and unit test as much of your application as you can reasonably do. If your application is only M, V, and C, then f- fuck, are you able to unit test that properly? Um, People have always said that MVC is very testable. And what they mean there is that MVC is more testable than you smashing all of your fucking PHP for each loops into some HTML file. Uh, MVC is slightly more testable than procedural code, but by itself, it's not testable, really, at all. Um, the more layers of code it's one of those solid approaches of things right like the more the more code you have uh, the more layers of abstraction you have the more layers in, of the onion there is to your code the easier it is to test if you just have mvc then it's very difficult because because your controllers are calling too many things to to accurately mock and then at that level if you're trying to unit test your controllers you're just testing your mocks in the controller um if you're trying to test your model and your model is very, very tightly coupled to a ORM system, then you have to um, very, very complicated. You have to mock the entire ORM system to try and unit test the fact that you can get data and set data and all that sort of shit. So trying to unit test an MVC system, if you haven't separated it out in an incredibly logical, awesome way, which most websites don't actually teach you how to do is a really silly idea 
So I kind of understand what DHH is saying about trying to unit test uh, MVC application is probably a bad idea. In the Rails community, they don't teach you to try and separate out more layers of the onion. And in the PHP community, we still aren't quite there yet. It's possible. It should be done. It would be great if people did it, but people don't fucking do it. Therefore, probably don't bother. Um, so maybe integration tests are great for an application and maybe unit tests are a good idea for a component. But the fact that people are having these conversations about, I always TDD or I never TDD or I will only TDD if this happens. You need to really think about what you're building. Components and applications are very fucking different. Whenever you write a blog post about when you should or shouldn't do something, you should qualify that with, in my experience, working for a startup, I have recently found that trying to do it for a component is easier than X. And the fact that no one ever qualifies what they're fucking talking about means that trying to have any conversation about when something is good or bad is completely fucking impossible. Mm. Yeah. That's the real crux of it is that neither one is true in all cases. So you have to just do what's right for your certain case. Right. So there might be potentially a gray answer instead of an absolute black or white. Fucking shocker. Absolutes make better blog posts. <laughs> the news. only thing I can say with 100% absolute certainty is every time you say the word always, you're always fucking wrong. <laughs> it winds me the fuck off recently like whenever you look at reddit or anywhere people are always, like heroku released php and people said why the fuck would i use heroku for php when i could use uh pass and i could i could use my provisioning server with chef and then run vagrant locally <laughs> and 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 provision all of my code and do all this stuff i'm like well, that's the fucking point. I mean, the fact that you don't have to do that sounds great. Um, and people say, oh, Vagrant's really good, so you should fucking use Vagrant all the time. I'm like, no, Vagrant's really good. I've been saying Vagrant's really good since 2012 when I released that blog post on fucking NetTuts. I don't think you should use it for every single project. I think you should use it if it could help you. And people don't know when to say, oh, in this circumstance, if, if people could just say, in this circumstance, then I would have such a happier time trying to talk to developers. <laughs> Just literally those three words. In this circumstance, in our company, it what would you what would you do with your day if people prefaced everything with that? What would More you have to complain work. about? <laughs> More work. <laughs> All right. Um, Okay. Anyway, we got a couple Q and A questions from our, uh, our listeners here. Ben, I've got the first one. Um, right. Stephen, how yes. do you simulate hundreds of thousands of users to test an application? How do I simulate hundreds of thousands of users to test an application? There's a really cool piece of software. I don't use it for everything, but it's really cool. Uh, it's called Bees with Machine Guns, I think is the name. I'm pretty sure Bees with Machine Guns. Which is a wonderful name for a piece of software. Oh, uh, what a wonderful awesome. name. Have you guys heard of it? I have heard no. of it. Uh, th I love the fact that they have a warning on there saying like, uh, please do not use Bees with Machine Guns to destroy third-party websites. Uh, <laughs> anything you do is traceable back to your EC2 account. Um, it will cost you, um, and you should not use this state down government software. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's a really good uh, warning that they have. So the idea for anyone that doesn't know what it is, basically it's like the traditional Apache AB benchmark, except it launches a, a 
pool of EC2 instances and runs Apache benchmark on them towards your uh, towards your test application. So you can say, hey, I want 100 EC2 instances to attack my application and like see how many concurrent users and and uh, and requests I can serve. It's really great. Uh, for for doing that big load test without spending a lot of money like there's a lot of load services but they're all as expensive as new relic sorry about your sponsorship but goddamn they're as expensive as new relic <laughs> not worth it you can just use beast with machine guns and it's it's really cool and to be honest like you feel pretty badass when you're doing it you're like oh yeah shit i have all these ec2 instances that are like making a bajillion requests to my app and wow it's like hasn't crashed yet oh wait there it goes but still you feel pretty badass when you're using it now, if you need enterprise-level error handling and support, newrelic.com. <laughs> Evil Ben, you're doing a very good job of, of advertising. <laughs> I'm twirling my mustache. It doesn't twirl. <laughs> you, need get some, you need to get some twirling wax. <laughs> yeah, like uh, Matt Frost. He's always a wax in his shit. It's pretty crazy. Well, I'll tell you guys, I'll tell you guys what. I will give you some great facial hair advice. And that facial hair advice is don't try and get a fucking uh, passport photograph done when you have shitty facial hair. Because that, I mean, no one's, no one's impressed by that. I don't no, know. no, I'm not impressed. I don't, what, I don't know what that is. That's just fucking embarrassing. So these are going straight in the bin. <laughs> that looks like a prison for <laughs> Jesus Christ. Right, we're done. <laughs> All right, we have a couple more questions, Steve. Thank you. Um, right. How did you manage downtime when scaling upgrades? How did we manage downtime when scaling upgrades? Is that the question? Yeah, so say you run out new servers. How did you handle the downtime there? Yeah, so uh, at first, really poorly, uh, we would just go down and uh, like we didn't even have a good error page, right? It was like the default Nginx, like 502 bad gateway, oh, too bad, like, Sucks for you. Um, we did get better though. Like what we started doing that worked out really well uh, was it really, so when you like, what would take us down doing during an upgrade mainly would be my SQL, right? Like mainly is doing a schema change, getting a new database server. Cause like uh, you want to add a new PHP server. It's easy. You spin up a new box, install your shit on it. Hopefully you're using like chef or whatever. Um, and bring it all up really fast and you don't really need to, you don't have downtime around there, but it's really like doing a schema change. What do you do? Uh, the best thing that sort of the best of the worst that we found, or maybe that's the wrong experience, whatever. It was the best way to do it. That wasn't like uh, too bad engineering wise was to disable rights. Like during a, a schema upgrade, we would just silently disable rights, disable uh, new photos from being uploaded. So for like 99.9% of the people, they could click along and view and everything's honky-dory. If you try to upload a photo, you'd get an error that was like, hey, come back again soon. Uh, without having all those rights coming into your database, now it's really easy to, to do online schema change. It's really easy to like lock the table from rights and, and alter the table, add a new column, add an index, whatever. Obviously, that doesn't work for everyone. It worked for us just because like a lot more people view pictures than upload pictures. If you have like the opposite or like a lot more people, you know, do write that versus read, maybe that doesn't work for you. But that that worked really well for the major uh, the major uh, hard point, which was which was uh, doing like upgrades to the database. I feel like that's 
the biggest problem for most deployment systems is like you can work out all these incredibly clever ways of doing um, atomic deploys where like you can you can symlink switch things left right and center and whatever you do with your code deployment is great um but actually trying to deploy that schema change you're always going to break some shit for somebody <laughs> like i i've never i've never seen a way that that doesn't break some shit for somebody i mean apart from the facebook approach where like you you know with with your application you say uh this application is going to accept these schema changes and then that code points to a whole different fucking database and it that translates the schema for them um and then every single application that integrates with facebook uh integrates in a different way so there's like there's no standard version of api that you're using you're just using that a that application's version of the api like that's the only way i feel like uh you can actually roll out migrations in a reasonable way with like feature flags um mm. because regardless of what you do with schema versions w- with migrations with laravel or migrations or with anything else like they're going to break some shit regardless. Like if someone's, if someone's looking at your website during, during the, the half a second that your migration is running, well, guess what? You just broke their fucking website. Like just for half a second, that's one guy that gets a 500 or one person that gets a 500, but it's still broken for that one person. So you then have to try and work out, okay, well I'll just do it at midnight. All right. Well, you've got a 24 hour website. All right. Well, okay. Looking at our access logs or our, our Google analytics stats, we know that 4.30 in the morning has the least chance of getting any users. It's like, okay, well, instead of breaking 20 users or 1,000 users, you've broken 12. Like, you're always going to break things for somebody. So I guess sure. you kind of have to try and work out when is the least active time, what sort of thing are they doing, like you said, like read or write, and then try and work out how you can roll out those migration changes slowly, um, in a way that affects the least number of people or just put up a big old fuck off we're changing <laughs> stuff come back in an hour like now like, what we do is um we always do non-breaking sql changes so you don't drop a column if you need to you know you can alter a column that's fine it's, you don't go down in size why the fuck would you ever want to go down in size okay and then you just run your migrations first you have non-breaking changes, and then you implement your code. Sometimes that equals duplicate fields in some places. So let's say we need to we need to change this field from whatever to an int or something that's not convertible. So let's say it was a bar car, and then we need to go to int. You might have to actually just do a separate field. And so you get a little duplication in your database, but you don't want to have to worry about actually breaking it for a user that's active at the time. Mm. Oh Ben, for for a guy with an evil person's mustache, you are not coming up with any evil solutions. <laughs> <laughs> we have it. Uh, so where I'm at now is Life 360, and we, you know we have it nailed down pretty good now. Um, we have like pretty flat traffic, so we do like uh, 800 million API calls a day, and it's just flat. There's no ups and downs. It's constant, steady all day. And that's and like so, not shit. You might as well just you know hang it up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 800 million. So, but there's so like a second of locking a table for a second is like catastrophic, right? Because you lose, I don't know, 800 million divided by the number of seconds in a day. It's like thousands of requests you just dropped and lost. Uh, So what we do is similar to what you do. What you're talking about is doing the schema migrations before you push the code. 
and doing them in a non-breaking way. But then you still run into, if you do like a big migration, you can lock the table sometimes, which sucks. Like if you lock the table, if you still have that like right lock on that, you know, no one can write to that table and you're still fucked for a period of time. There's a tool, uh, I'm sure you guys have heard of it. It's called PT Online Schema Change, something like that. It's made by Percona, but it can like, it does some like weird Perl MySQL magic where it does uh, does your schema change. Like on a, if you have a massive table, like with millions columns in it, it does it slowly over a long period of time, like over, you know, does it in increments, does it in chunks, keeps everything in keeps everything in sync. You end up with like two duplicate tables at the end that are in sync, one with the old schema change and with the, or one without the schema change and one with the new schema change and then you flip over. And that seems like the, right now, like at our, at the scale that I'm working at, it seems like the sanest option. Granted, like if you're Facebook big, you probably couldn't use something like that. But if you're like moderately successful, you know, 50, 60 million users, like this is still an option for you. Um, but it still takes a long fucking time, right? Like you can't just say like, uh, you know, cap deploy, deploy some new code, run my migrations and done, like wipe my hands. Like you're like, oh, I wanted to deploy this schema change. You're like, you're in for a couple of days of like something running in the background, doing the migration and before you can deploy your code. So it still sucks, but it's at least like a little better where you can get by without breaking it for your users. But now like you weigh the difference, right? Does it, is it better to like, do take down the site for 20 minutes or is it better to do a schema change that takes four days? Like which one is better? Which one sucks least? I, I guess it depends for everyone, you know, different scenario and different application they're working on. I'm scared. Yeah, no, what we usually do. Go ahead, Phil. I'm scared and confused by what you said. So I have to assume it's witchcraft and I don't like witchcraft. <laughs> <laughs> now, so it's PC so- online Pacona is what you said. It's a PT online schema change. It, it's like the, if you look at the code, it's like some Perl magic on MySQL, but basically they're like create a new table with your schema change and then start migrating old data into it. Meanwhile, they have a trigger set up that pushes inserts and updates to the new table with the new schema. So as you write to the old table, the new table gets it too. And then when it finally copies everything over, it like swaps the table. So you end up with a new schema change. It's like, it makes sense. You read the code, but it's still, it's a fucking hack on MySQL. I hate it. I'm scared. I'm confused. And I'm going to pretend that it doesn't exist. <laughs> All right. Fair what enough. we do is uh, we use a connection puller. And so with using not breaking changes, they don't usually take very long. So if you're creating a new table or adding a new field, instead mm-hmm. of altering existing columns, it's not going to take long, um, at least in our experience so far. Now we use Postgres, so it could be a little different. Mm. Um, so we use P- yeah. PG Bouncer is what we use, and it does connection pooling for our database. So if we need something like that, we can actually, like, we can tell it to just queue the connections, and then do our migrations, and then turn the queue back on, basically. Mm. So at worst case, is a user might take a second to load a page, but they wouldn't actually see an error. Um, I see. So, so your solution is, is using a better database. Is it, that's, I mean, that's... Postgres <laughs> is always the solution. <laughs> uh, ben is just biased because we got one of the core contributors to Postgres on board, and she said that it was good, so that now we have to use it because she said it was good. She was one of the like, <laughs> first guests. It was awesome. Uh, she was also one of the most fun guests, and I hope we get her back on soon because she was awesome. 
Um, I'm going to mark this question as done. So um, the question was, Steve, how did do you manage downtime with scaling upgrades and how do you jump from a single server to something that could scale? The, quest, the answer to that, I believe, if I can summarize on your behalf, is that it's always fucking complicated. The only way to really answer this is witchcraft, and you should be shunned for trying to use such witchcraft. Joe Ferguson, you've been answered. Or, or Postgres. It's also answered. Or, or, or Postgres <laughs> does that shit out of the box because Postgres is fucking magic. The next question, Chris Fido is another, he is an upstate New Yorker. Um, who has managed to evade my my drunken uh, grasp. Uh, we've meant to hang out multiple times. We now quite have. But uh, do y'all... Come on, Chris. You're not from Texas. You don't get to say y'all. You're American, but you're not... <laughs> this, this angers me. I'm... You say y'all again, Phil. Chris, Chris, you know that you're wrong. Chris, you know that you're wrong. Do you all use Apache... Do you pass PHP to FPM? This is the question. Stephen, please provide the answer, even if it's short. The answer is fuck no. Uh, Ditched Apache years ago. I would never use Apache for anything again, even if it was like uh, my mom's website that I was going to build. I use Nginx for everything because the configuration doesn't make you uh, go crazy. It makes you stay pretty sane and enjoyable to use and it's small and it's better performs better so yeah uh never use apache if you're using apache i I disagree with you so just just flagrantly all the time all the time all the time time. do you do you know of any stories from any of your peers or from any of your friends that run big ass websites where they found that apache actually turns out to be a better product um, most everyone that I know is using Nginx or mostly Nginx. Pro- Nginx, I feel like, has taken over the scalable web. Um, people that I know that use Apache use it for some obscure reason because they have to use it. Like they have some plugin or module that only runs on Apache or whatever. Like a lot of people use uh, like some single like enterprise single sign-on products get example that only have apache modules and they need to use it for whatever reason most people should be using nginx i, I mean maybe you guys disagree but i will say like 100 percent that i feel like nginx is a 100 percent better product in every respect than apache nice i was uh, mostly asking to uh play devil's advocate um and when i said better i immediately hated myself because <laughs> Which is better, PHP or Python? Absolutely all the time, Phil. (laughs) Absolutely all the time, A is better than B. Uh, Yes. No, that's that's interesting to know. Like, I feel like recently a lot of people have been shouting the benefits of various new products. Um, And this goes back to the rants that I've made multiple times. And people learn a new product and they shout about how awesome a new product is. And then they use that new product all the time regardless because it's fucking new and it's and it's shiny. And, and why would you use an old, boring thing when you could use a new, awesome thing? So people are like, oh, I've been using Apache since I was fucking 11. Which, hello, I have. 25 now. That's been a while. Apache's been floating around a while. And then we go, oh, I could use Nginx. That's that's new and exciting. 
why don't I use Nginx? And then you ask a lot of these people why, and they say, oh, someone said it was faster. <laughs> I'm like, are you a fucking idiot? Like, you just you just changed the stack for the production company, you or, or like you changed the stack for the company you work for because you read a blog by someone that said it was faster. And I'm not I'm not to say that Stephen that you're wrong at all, but uh, it, it 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 winds me the shit up that people just go, oh, I used to use Apache, and then I read a blog that said Nginx faster, so I just I guess I just started using Nginx, and that's what I use now. <laughs> and I'm like, really? You're that easy to just switch between random products? Oh, I've I've given up on Nginx server. I now use a uh, fucking Uniform Server 5.12. And I, <laughs> I actually, actually, I was using Uniform Server 5.12. And I, since then, since then, I've started using Cherokee because Cherokee is <laughs> great. Like, just... If, if if the if the folks that you know have have uh, proven, tried, and benchmarked the differences between Apache and Nginx, and they have found continuing benefits in using this 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 uh, Nginx over Apache, that's fucking awesome. If people well, listen, I'll, I'll tell you really quick. I'll t- I give you. I haven't benchmarked it, right? I've never benchmarked it. Everyone says it's faster, but I'll tell you exactly why I. Well, so be- fuck I- your whole book then, right? No, <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you the reason why. We're taking uh, taking the book out of the show notes now. Sorry, <laughs> it's gone. Uh, so you know, originally back we did use Apache for quite a while, and uh, we were using uh, an Nginx load balancer, right? And so using Nginx load balancer and we're using Apache. And this is like back when a server with like 10 gigs of RAM was like, holy shit, that's a lot of memory to put in a server, 10 gigs. Oh my fucking God. And we, Apache like out of memory a lot of time is Apache uses a fuck ton of memory. Um, and we were looking at our load now, balancer. Hold on. This is a big question. Is a fuck ton an actual measurement here? It's an act. It is a scientific measurement. It depends if you're talking metric or imperial. <laughs> um, a fuck ton, um, if considered uh, metric, is T O N N E, whereas the imperial, because Americans can't spell long, complicated words, is T O N. Um, I can't give you the exact difference, uh, but uh, they are they are different measurements, and I, I feel like the English version is worth more. The English version is worth more. I like that. Good to know. <laughs> I hoped at least one person would laugh when I said that, but I assume that all my, follow- all my followers are silently chuckling on their Twitter feeds. And they really <laughs> to be said other things I'm sure they're just slapping their knee and laughing right now. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Sorry to interrupt you, Steve. I oh, no worries. And I took it. So go ahead. So, uh, so we're like, oh, Apache's using a lot of memory. We're out of memory you know, we're running out of memory on these boxes. Um, let's look at our Nginx load balancer. Holy shit, it's doing, you know, 10,000 connections a second and it's using 85 megs of RAM. That's pretty damn impressive. So that was the initial reasons for switching years ago. And since I've been using Nginx for so long, I, I have a good understanding of it, right? The, I, I would argue that the, the configuration file and configuration syntax is worlds, worlds simpler and easier for like, even the most newbie noobs to understand. I'll argue that the code for it is really, really tight. There's not a lot of code. There's something where that's happening. You could easily look into the C source like, holy shit, 
you can actually read the source of the the open source tools you use and you can like figure out why something weird is happening and it's like the feature set is so tight and it does everything so well that that alone for me is a good enough reason to use it it's it's just way more understandable than a huge monolithic code base like Apache, which is great, but it does everything, right? You can like, you can do anything with Apache and that's nice, but you can also like have a really tight code base with Nginx where everything's modular and then bring up, you know, just the modules you need in and compile it statically if you, you're into doing static binaries. So for me, it's a better product and it's just, uh, I think that when you look at like a 12 factor design it makes more sense to like sort of to to use something like php fpm right and nginx lends itself to being a good front end to to php fpm just because you you sort of break up things into smaller services and like your http service is like truly a, a service that's part of your application so that's why i like it just because it's so tight and nimble now i feel like it's faster but i haven't benchmarked it so it could <laughs> Not necessarily be faster, but I do feel like it is faster, and that's scientific enough for me. Nice. So if I can give that a very quick uh, summary, and then you correct yes, me I will. when I am wrong. Um, you generally feel like in, in many situations, Nginx is faster, um, and it has proven itself in some circumstances, some circumstances to be a little quicker. Um, and regardless of all of that, it sucks less to work with. And when you have to debug a problem, Nginx is just easier to debug. So it might be faster. And if it's exactly the same speed, at least it's fucking better to work with. Sure. Yeah. And, and Nginx a hands up fucking win over Apache, right? Sure. In your case. Right. Absolutely. And, and, you know, to be fair, Apache could have gotten much better in the past couple of years. However, listen, everyone... No, I don't want to say everyone, but most people I know in my industry that, that I work with, a lot of people use Apache. You know, it's, it's, if you look at the top 100 websites, and, and maybe I'm grasping at straws here, but most big sites are using Apache. Or, <laughs> fuck. Well, that's the same, most big sites are using Nginx. Saying most, you know, lo lots of websites are using WordPress, so it must be good. Right? <laughs> no, WordPress is great. I mean, I... <laughs> I'm going to have to go for a quick walk and a quick trip to the bathroom. Um, but you should handle the next question. So I feel like the um, do you pa uh, do y'all do y'all use Apache? Shut up, Chris. That's done. Um, I'm going to give you one quick question and I'm going to pop to the bathroom. Um, All right. Are any of you using HHVM in production environment right now? Would you advise for or against it? Um, so Ben, Stephen, you can work that out for yourselves. One moment, please, says. All right. Uh, please mute your mic before you go to the bathroom, Phil. Uh, I don't think you muted it. <laughs> no, I don't think so. It's oh, going to be boy. fun. <laughs> All right. You go first, Stephen. Uh, HHVM, go. Yeah, someone just asked me about this yesterday, actually. And uh, I love the idea of HHVM. I love the, the progress that's being made there. I think it's really like the nerd in me is like eats it up because it's so cool, especially a lot of the... Uh, just in time stuff that's that's been released in hack, but man, I, I can't I can't find a justification to use it in production yet. It seems like a lot of the modules that I would need, a lot of the like the C modules um, that I would need to to run my app 
just end up not being there, whether it's something small, obscure that we use. Um, it's just, it's not possible. I wanted to play with it. I wanted to use it for something like, to, like Phil mentioned earlier, it's a new shiny technology and I want to fucking use it for something, but I can't find something to use it for. That's not like the most basic application right now. So I have not. Um, and to be honest, anytime I do something compiled, I'm using Golang and I, I don't have like a good reason to, to use something like HHVM unless it's a PHP app that I have that already exists. So no, I haven't used it, but I wish I could. How about you? Yeah, I've actually debated it some. It's, um, I'm not a fan of dynamic typing. Um, I'm a real big fan of static typing. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it, it causes so many more problems than it helps with. Um, and I end up, I end up typecasting every fucking thing I do anyway, just because I don't trust PHP to typecast it correctly, dynamically. <laughs> um, so that's, in my opinion, that's almost worth it right there. But there's the long-term support aspect is what keeps me from using it in any current production environments. Because yeah. I feel that it's stable enough now. It supports the main things I would need from it. But I don't know where it's going to be in two years. And, I mean, I believe Facebook will be around, but will they still be interested in it? Will they still be interested in backwards compatibility to PHP? Sure. Because that's yeah. an absolute must-have. And so unless there were... I mean, really, until they establish a record that they actually give the shit about backwards compatibility to PHP over the course of a couple of years, I don't think I could justify it. Now, maybe if it was just some little, some little side project that I'm just working on, sure, why not? You know, but um, you know, an actual production app that people are paying for, I don't think so. Yeah, I do. I really like the idea of it, though. I feel like. Uh, the idea behind it is really solid and, and making PHP more of a, of a 12 factor application where, you know, it has its, you run it as just a, as a, as a binary or whatever. And it has a, a web server loop that it sits in and you don't need to go through a thousand hoops, like use mod PHP or PHP FPM or all this bullshit in front of it. It just, you run your PHP compiled binary and it, runs your requests. I like, I like that aspect of it. It seems like it's much yeah. simpler to deploy. But I, I really do don't have any gripes with the language itself. I mean, I really love everything they've done. And I'm really rooting for a lot of it to make its way back into PHP, hopefully. If yeah. Sarah Goldman or anyone else on the team, hopefully a lot of the things in there will make its way back. But then also, realistically, I don't think it would make it through the voting process. So, you know, fingers crossed. I like the idea. I just... I'm worried about spam. Ben, don't you fucking jinx it. I don't know if you guys have spotted the uh the um what's it called? The the return type hinting. Have you guys seen this? No, I haven't seen it. That fucking RFC again. We're gonna have an RFC discussion. <laughs> um no return type hinting, you know, you you write a function uh, and it could return it could return true or false. Cool, that's a boolean. Um, every now and then you might want to actually well as responsible web developers most of us actually specify what we're trying to return from our functions or methods right so if you're going to return an instance of a class you specify in the doc blocks what you are trying to return in that instance of the class so a kick-ass new RFC is cropped up built a Run by Levi Morrison, written by uh, by by Joe Watkins, 
Um, and the idea of the the RFC is if you are a, if you want to return a foo class from your method, you just put colon class at the end of the declaration, and then everyone knows you're trying to return a class from your function. And that sounds fucking awesome. And that's that's something that Hack does. That's something that HHVM will support immediately out of the box. Um, and that's something that PHP could very easily have by 5.7 or version 6 or version fucking 7, whichever whichever they decide to to decide is the next version. Um, but the whole idea that, that we have these RFCs coming in, which actually match almost, almost identically the the syntax and the ideas put forward by hack um is pretty cool and it and it kind of proves how i feel about hack for now that hack is like an awesome flagrant fuck it ground of of testability of potentially interesting new features that if those new features work out then php can just make an rfc for and if those features don't work out, then uh, I guess we should probably rework those features. But the the whole idea that people could just kind of invent these new features for hack and then maybe, maybe, maybe that'll make it into PHP, that sounds pretty cool. And so far, we have seen a few RFCs come through that do want to try and make hack or HHVM functionality make its way back into the PHP mainstream. Now, sure, not every single feature that Hack ever invents is going to try and get back into the mainstream, but a lot of them do, and that's pretty cool. Agreed. It's, uh, I hope that it helps push PHP along. Um, most other languages have like separate core engines or interpreters or whatever the fuck you want to call them. C, Python, J, Python, Ruby, Python, yeah, Iron. Exactly. <laughs> There's like so 25, PHP is not 25 real Python interpreters. So many of them. <laughs> PHP has just been PHP for so long. So I think in a lot of ways this will cause, you know, it's kind of like, you know, if you only have one restaurant in town and then another one opens up, they're going to compete or one store or whatever the fuck you want to call it in capitalism. But I fucking love Chipotle. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> no, so, I mean, but yeah, so competition will be good for us, I think. It'll push the language to keep expanding. Because PHP is not going to want people to go to HHVM because they implement, you know, typing. Ben, do you know what? What? You just agreed with Rasmus. <laughs> I'm scared. How did I agree with Rasmus? <laughs> so, if I can say a few words without sounding like an absolute douche. Can you say a few words in under 500 words? I don't... I don't know what that means. I, I don't like. That sounds terrible. No. Um, so during the last couple of weeks, hanging out with Rasmus on a safari because I'm a fucking big name sh- dropping like a motherfucker. Boom. Uh, whilst whilst I was hanging out with Rasmus on a safari, photographing wildebeest and I guess a giraffe or two, uh, we would. <laughs> Blah. <laughs> um, moving on. No, what, 
on our little South African trip, we we went to several different uh, conferences, including PHP uh, Johannesburg, PHP Cape Town, and a little fucking meetup. I'm so bored. Get to it. Shut your hole. I'm trying to name drop their conferences so they invite me again, motherfucker. <laughs> <sighs> I hate you sometimes. Um, so we were discussing it. And one of the five questions that Rasmus, it turns out, gets asked 12 times every day of his life is, Hey, Rasmus, what do you think of hack? Hey, Rasmus, what do you think of HHVM? Hey, hey Rasmus, what do you think about the future of PHP? Hey, Rasmus, why did GoTo happen? <laughs> that, that one was just fun for me. But, um, but no, most of the questions are like, Hey, hey Rasmus, uh, what do you think about HHVM? Are you scared? And and that whole question is hilarious in like 12 different ways, right? Because PHP is like 10 different things. PHP is a language, syntax, done. PHP is also uh, uh, the interpreter and the engine uh, and the output, right? Um, PHP, since version fucking three, has been the Zend engine, well, since version 4, sorry, it's been the Zend engine. So whatever turns that random BHP that you're writing into some stuff that works has always been the Zend engine. So when people say, oh, HHVM's going to give you a run for your money, he's like, oh, some company that's interested in making BHP good is offered an engine. Oh, that's like the last time that some company offered... <laughs> an engine that made the code something something so yeah he, he he's all about like yes maybe one day hhvm might might take over php be that version six or fucking seven because they can't work out which is next or version fucking nine which might be when roughly hhvm starts supporting windows and other platforms uh, but the whole point is that maybe hhvm will be will be the next engine for PHP, potentially, but they have to start supporting all the systems that PHP Zen's engine currently supports. And if they support that, great. Until they support that, shut your hole, because it ain't relevant. If you can't support <laughs> Windows, I'm, I'm sure you don't want to use Windows. I'm sure lots of your friends don't use Windows. But guess what? Lots of fucking people use Windows. So until HHVM supports every single platform and every single feature that the current PHP supports... HHVM is not going to be the whole yallelujah. <laughs> First time I've ever heard it, yallelujah. <laughs> well, it was it was hallelujah, but I, I said it. I understood the reference. I was impressed. Sweet. So currently, uh, this is the first episode that's ever got towards two hours. So we Yeah, actually, I feel like Steve has been, he fits in. So I think, you know, he just takes the podcast from now. We just stop, and it ben, stays from now on. Ben, who is Steven? Is he, is he, is, can he hear us? I see. Who is that guy? Who is, who is that guy? something. Can, can he come on for every podcast? He's really fun. Uh, can can it be fun. me, you, Ben, Shailen, and Steven every time? What about Zach? You can't leave Zach out. Didn't I say Zach. Zach is somewhere in New York slitting his wrist right now. Phil. Didn't I say <laughs> Zach? I, I swear to God, I said Zach. Zach, I'm sorry. It's Millie. You're my bro. I want to get a visa just so I can come and hang with you again. because It's been like a month and I hate it. 
Anyway, so Wow expresses his love. Thanks for coming on, Steve. It's been a great time. Yeah. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate you having me on. It was a good time to chat. All right. Thanks. Thanks for watching, everyone. We appreciate it. Um, hope you guys have a good Wednesday night or Thursday morning if you're over in weird place like Phil is. Mate, it's Thursday afternoon by now. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> All right. Later. Thanks. Bye, Toodle, guys. Thank you. Toodle pip. Toodle pip. <laughs>